in the name of God. Ricky, do you take this loan to be your lawful companion, to pay and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to obey until death do you part. That's my man Ricky up there. I keep telling him to leave these loans alone, but he keeps getting himself tied to them. I've told him many, many times, and every time he looks at me as if I'm trying to hate on him. I'm standing in his way. You ain't got to worry about reading that fine print there, Ricky. It's all there. Come on. You know, I don't know if I should even say something at this time. But truthfully, man, this loan is so big. If he does it, you know, I know he's going to regret it. And I don't hate myself for not saying something. Come on now, son. We ain't got all day. Are you a champ or a chump? Come on, Ricky, son. Nah, forget that, man. I got to say something, man. I, I, I can't let this go on. Ricky! Run, Ricky, run! Ricky! And I'm, you know, thinking whether I should even bother doing this episode on debt. Because right now, when you talk about staying away from debt, most times your words are going to fall on deaf ears. People ain't really trying to hear that. Our society loves debt so much, it's almost become like the Xanax of our society. If anyone feels any sort of anxiety about whether they can afford something, no worries. All you got to do is borrow the money and voila. Your issues are solved. Problem fixed. And if anyone even tries to get in the way of someone trying to get these loans, they're going to view you as an enemy, a hater. They might even call the police and report you for disturbing the peace. Even if you're trying to help them not to harm themselves, they're going to look at you as if you're, you're, you're moving shady on them. I remember a couple years ago, I'm there hanging out with one of my peoples, one of my homegirls. And so she comes now and pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking it. And I'm like, hold on, what's, what's wrong with you? When did you even start smoking? How are you going to pull out a Grim Reaper right in front of me? What's really wrong with you? And so I grabbed it. Hmm. Big mistake. The way this chick jumped on me. Oh, man, I looked up in her face and I saw nothing but madness up in her eyes. Man, she wrestled me. If it was not for God himself, she would have removed me from the earth. All over a Lucy. All over a Sig. All over a Piff Pow, she was willing to take me out. So I had to say, you know what, man? Forget it. Take it. I, I ain't even gonna bother with all this. Take it. If you want to harm yourself, go ahead. And I really had to peep game and understand that you can't stand in the way of someone that wants to harm themselves. You know, all you can do is get out the way and say andale and, and, and pray for them. Because the only way a person is going to stop something that is detrimental to them 
is if they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when it comes to this debt thing, our society is not sick and tired of it. You know, I was looking at this report the other day from, uh, what's it called, Experion. And, you know, the Credit Rating Bureau. And they did a study from 2009 to 2019. And they were looking at how debt has increased over that time period. So student loan debt went up more than double. It went from $658 billion to $1.4 trillion, all-time high. I don't even know who's going to pay that. Car loans went up 81% from $716 billion to $1.3 trillion, all-time high. Mortgages went from four, went up 14% from $8.4 trillion to $9.6 trillion, all-time high. Credit card went up 18% from $700 billion to $829 billion, all-time high. Debt right now, it's like a genie that's been released from the bottle and ain't no one trying to put it in the bottle anytime soon especially when debt is being presented as a bridge between our dreams and our reality debt is promising to fill that gap much faster than the conventional way of saving and waiting and being patient ain't nobody trying to save and wait not when debt is around the corner proposing instant success you know, it's like when we have that pen in our hands and we're about to sign them loan docs. It's like that paperwork be sounding like Luther Vandross to us. And truthfully, we got to start resisting this temptation to get ourselves into more loans, more debt. We got to try to resist traveling on that broad, wide road. And, you know, Jesus was talking about it in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Right now, society is on that broad road of debt. And there are many factors, many influences pushing us further and further on that broad road. And today, I'm going to talk about some of these uh, factors, some of these elements that's pushing us more and more into debt. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is our financial education. A lot of people are going to say the reason we are in such poor financial health, the reason we have so much debt, the reason we're getting jammed up so much with all these loans is because we have a lack of a financial education. But I would actually say it's the opposite. I would say our financial education actually encourages us to get into debt. Our financial education encourages us to make sure you build up your credit score. Make sure you get a good high debtor score is what we, I should really call it. Um, it encourages us to go and get the credit card, get the student loans, get the mortgages. You know, it encourages us to jump on that debt treadmill. And the interesting thing is, as a person moves from, let's say, their teenage years to their, let's say, 20s to 30s to 40s, it's like the debt treadmill keeps getting turned up at a higher speed because the person would move from credit cards to student loans to the car loan to the, to the mortgage. And it's like the payments that they're responsible for keeps getting higher and higher and higher. And this is all encouraged. With when, whenever people are getting their um, financial education, but the, they put it as 
good debt. And to me, good debt is is really funny. I guess it's like it's good debt when you get it and then when you have problems with it and you can't pay it, now it's bad debt. And I remember even me at one point, I got jammed up with this whole uh, debt situation. Maybe like, what, 10 years ago? You know, I got jammed up with uh, some credit card. I had like maybe $15,000. And, you know, it didn't start off with fifteen. I would put something on the card. I would pay it off. My credit score was like 700 something. It was real good. But then things started to slow down here, slow down there. Had to put more on the chart on the card. Couldn't pay it off 100%. And before you know it, this kept on going up and up and up. But eventually, thank God, I was able to clear the whole balance. You know, I was able to pay them in full. I didn't settle because I believe if you borrow something, you got to pay them in full. I didn't want any settlement, you know, but hear this. I jumped off of the debt treadmill and within a couple of days, I'm thinking, man, I got to improve my credit score, my debtor score. So I jumped back on the debt treadmill and it's like every time my score was going higher, every time they were increasing my credit limit, it's like your boy was looking like he was on the soul train line. I was so happy dancing, all that. So now I remember one day this lady came to me and she wanted to sell me her property. So I said, oh, for real word? I said, all right, let me, let me go run the figures. So I went home, I pulled up the Excel, started running the arithmetic, and I'm looking at how to make this thing profitable. I'm working it all different types of ways. And then something said to me, don't focus so much on the potential profit. Look at how much you're going to be responsible for every single month. Look at the mortgage payments you have to make each month. And so I looked at it. I forgot it. It might have been like $4,000, $5,000, something like that. And then I just started to feel a little uneasy. Something was just coming over me that just made me feel a little uncomfortable. And so something said to me, check out what people in the past used to say about debt. Go go do a little research. So all right, I went up on the computer and I went to this website and they had quotes from a whole bunch of people from back in the day talking against debt. So I'm looking through it. I'm saying, hold on, this is interesting. Ben, Benjamin Franklin. Here's what he said. Rather go to bed without dinner than to rise in debt. Andrew Jackson. Hear him. Live within your means. Never be in debt. And by husbanding your money, you can always lay it out well. Thomas Jefferson. Never spend your money before you have it. And I have a link in the description for this episode. So you could go on that website also and look at all the people that spoke against um, debt. So now I'm looking at this. And I'm saying something say to me, check the Bible. See what the Bible is saying about this. And truthfully, I should have checked there first. But I don't know why I didn't that day. But so I went into the Bible. And I looked at Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. I said, all right. I went to Proverbs 22, 26. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? So I'm looking at this and like, okay, I, I lean back. And, you know, I've read these verses before. You know, because at this point I was in the faith for maybe three years, something, four years. So I've read these verses before, but for some reason it was hitting different this time. It's like I was reading them with my Steve Urkel glasses on right now. They were looking straight 2020 to me right now. 
And I leaned back in my chair. I looked up to the sky and I was like, hold on. We're not supposed to be in debt. We're not supposed to be borrowing this money. It's like I was seeing things and understanding things I never understood before. And shortly after that, it's like I started to feel a little bit depressed now. Because my dreams, my hopes, my goals, my future plans, you know, my chances of getting ahead were all tied to borrowing money. And when it was just coming into my mind, I said, hold on. So you mean I can't buy all these properties with all these mortgages on them? I got to reroute myself now? Oh, it started to hit me heavy, man. So I had to say, man, let me lay down for a little bit. I had to go and eat the covers. And after thinking about it for a while, it's like my perspective started to change little by little in those minutes. I wasn't looking at the glass as half empty anymore. I was looking at the glass as half full. Because I'm like, hold on. I really don't need to be in debt. I don't need to owe anybody. I don't need to have these obligations on me. And I felt like chains were getting taken off of me. Shackles were being taken off my feet. And that's the crazy thing because I really didn't even know there were chains on my feet. I didn't even know I was in bondage. I thought I was free. And if you think about it, a free person does not ask to be freed. They think they're good. They think they're Gucci. And it's like that's what the problem is. You know, when, you, when you, you're in so much darkness, you start to think the darkness is the light. And you start to think the light is the darkness. And I start to understand what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6, 23, when he said, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You know, and when you're so much in, in, in darkness, when you're so blind to something, it affects your worldview. It affects your perspective. It, it affects your navigation. It affects so many things. And for years, I was underneath this cloud and I didn't even realize it. You know, and it, it made me think about what this guy, um, Carter G. Woodson, said in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro. He said, when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him not to stand here or go yonder. He will find his proper place and will stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there is no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes it necessary. And that was me. I was looking for that back door, fighting, man, to get to that back door. I was so determined to go borrow some money like everybody else. I was dying to get on that broad road. But God, and hold on, let me say that again. But God released me. And it's been maybe now seven, eight years. I don't have any debts. I'm not planning anytime soon to get back into any debt. For me, man, I avoid the debt like it's the draft, you know. And if they send anything in the mail, it's straight rip, ripply, rip, rip. And if I can't um, rip it up like that and I, I opened it first to see what was going on, straight crush it up and it's MJ fade away right into the garbage. I'm not messing with none of it. And I promise I'm not touching that stuff again, you know. So, you know, back to the story. I'm so enlightened now. I'm so happy. I'm like, man, I got to spread this news, man. People got to know. You ain't supposed to be in no debt. So I called up a couple of my people. 
And I'm trying to let them know what the deal is. Every single person tuned me out. Everybody politely tuned me out. And, you know, I was talking about it for the next couple of days, couple of weeks. And I started to get a little frustrated. But I had to peep game. I didn't understand. I was a rookie coming right off the bench. I had to realize. And it took me a couple of years actually to realize this. When you're in the truth-telling business, you got to be patient. People are not going to see what you see when you see it. And you got to understand that because me personally, I never saw this, you know, for years. So I got to understand people are not going to jump with it immediately. And I had to understand that when you're in this truth-telling business, you got to be comfortable moving on a path that is contrary to popular opinion. You got to be comfortable moving on that path alone. And especially if you're talking about debt, where debt is as American as Uncle Sam's pie. No, you're going to be in the wilderness for yourself for a minute. But talking about wilderness, even just think about it, right? How long was John the Baptist in the wilderness before people actually came out to him to hear what he had to say and to get baptized by him? You know, it must have been, it might have been a while. So overall, I don't think it's a lack of a, uh, financial education that causes us to get into debt. I think it is our very financial education that pushes us into it. And we really need to re-educate ourselves. We really need to have a education that, that promotes savings, investing, that promotes group economics, partnering with our family, with you know those who are, we're close with. But we, we need to get away from this low-hanging fruit mentality of if I want it, I'm going to just go borrow the money from for it. Now, the next factor that's pushing us on this broad road of debt is actually a spiritual factor. And for some time, I could not really put my finger on what the spiritual effects were of debt or the spiritual source of it. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But the other day, I was trying to memorize some scriptures, so I was looking over the Ten Commandments, and the Tenth Commandment actually stood out to me. And the Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So when I was looking at it, I'm I'm saying to myself, the reason God mentioned it is because we have a problem with it. This must be part of our sinful nature that really needs to be addressed. And when you really um, think about it, society actually fans the flame of being covetous, you know, through its ubiquitous peer pressure and the advertising. And if you even look at the way advertising is structured, when they find a particular demographic that they're going after, what do they do? They try to make the people look just like that um, demographic, talk like that demographic, move like that demographic. So when the um, target audience sees that advertisement, they start saying, man, I wish I could have what he has. I wish I could live the way he or she is living. And even though the person might not consciously think like this, the advertising people are not trying to attack 
your conscious level. They're trying to attack your subconscious level. Because at the end of the day, this thing is not um, dominoes. This is not checkers. This thing is chess they're playing. And they're putting billions of dollars behind their marketing uh, campaigns to try to attack our subconscious. So, you know, within our society, this spirit of covetousness, it's like it's running wild and it's making it where we're craving more and more and more. And guess what? Debt actually helps us to satisfy this craving. It actually helps us to consume more and more. And, you know, the numbers I mentioned earlier when I was adding up the uh, the student loans, the credit cards, the car loans, the mortgages, it comes out to around, let's say, $13 trillion. How much of that $13 trillion is really necessary? And how much of that $13 trillion is just because of our covetous nature? You know, and because we have this covetous spirit running around, plus we have this debt running around. It's like we, we're now living in a weird type of world, like a matrix type world where we own everything. But at the same time, we cannot afford anything. And it's sort of weird, isn't it? Because, look, we put down um, in terms of when it comes to purchasing stuff, 5 percent, 10 percent, 20 percent of the purchase price. And we brag about how we own this thing. And. I'm just wondering if we're the modern day example of the emperor has no clothes. Because, trust me, if you really want to see who the real owner is of um, all these things we've purchased, let there be some financial hardships or financial crisis. And you're going to really see who the boss is because the boss is going to make an appearance at the office and he's going to want some answers. So we're operating again in this world where we own everything but we can't afford anything at the same time. And because of this covetous spirit and because it's so strong, if we can't have what other people have, we feel incomplete. We feel unsuccessful. We feel like a, a failure if we can't get it. And these feelings are so dangerous. And that's why God had to put it into the commandment, you know, to not covet other things because these feelings can be preyed upon by Satan, by the money lenders, by scammers, by unscrupulous individuals. And we really need to sit back and try to adopt the mentality that Paul had. And he described it in uh, Philippians 4.11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, he said, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me just read that one more time. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The thing that uh, stands out to me the most, two words in, in this sentence, the word learned and the word content. Paul had to learn how to be content. And truthfully, you're not going to have people teaching you how to be content in our society because the honest to God truth is most people themselves are not content, so they can't teach it to us because they lack it themselves. And like the great Pastor Quar used to say, you can't give what you don't have. And so you're really going to have to fight to be content. You're going to have to stand apart and, and focus on trying to be content. And we need to make sure we grasp this power because there's so much 
strength, so much power and contentment. And going back to Paul again, he said in 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I remember uh, the other day I was reading this story on this lady named Erin French. She owns a restaurant in Maine. And the restaurant is so popular, you sometimes have to book your reservations a year in advance. It's called uh, The Lost Kitchen. And she opens up eight months out of the year. She operates four days out of the week. Uh, the restaurant is just popular, popular, popular. So a lot of people are telling her, oh, Aaron, you need to go franchise. You need to set up your system like this. You need to expand. You need to do all these things. And she said, no, I don't want none of that. I just want to keep this simple restaurant. I'm content with it. I get to take four months off each year. I only have to work four days a, a week. I get to spend time with my son. I get to work with other women who I like, their friends, family, all that. And she's content with that. And she said, people make her seem, make her feel like she's crazy. And truthfully, when I was reading that article, I had to salute her like a general. Matter of fact, we got to drop some bombs for Eric. And drop another one for Erin. Because she's doing it the OG way. She's doing it the right way. Because she found out what was going to make her happy. And she was not trying to follow anyone else's script. And that's the thing within our society. Many times we're chasing things that at the end of the day won't even make us happy. I remember this guy, uh, Stephen Covey, said... Most of us spend our life climbing up the ladder of success only to reach the top and find out that it was leaning on the wrong wall. And truthfully, I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know whose wall you know, your ladder is leaning on. But I can tell you this. If you climb this ladder of covetousness, you're going to climb it with a heavy debt load on your back. So really try to learn how to be content. And try to, to, to suppress the, that spirit that God warned us about in the 10th commandment. Now the next factor, the next element that's pushing us on this broad road of debt that I'm going to talk about is the money lender. You know, I was touching on them a little bit here and there, but now I'm going to deal with them more directly. Because they're definitely pushing an agenda pushing us to get deeper and deeper into debt. Um, and to some level, you know, can you really knock their hustle? I mean, they're in the business and it's clearly understood and stated. They're in the business to lend money and to collect interest and fees. The thing with them is, though, that they've just been so successful at convincing us to pay them interest and fees. And they work through parents, they work through our friends, they work through counselors, they work through the media, they work through all these different people to indoctrinate us from a young age. So even before you know what credit cards and loans are about, you hear people telling you, you need to make sure you have a good debtor score. You need to make sure you prove yourself as a good borrower, somebody who's owes people money and you're good at paying them back the money you borrowed from them. And, you know, when you really meditate on it 
and and you know Jesus did mention this sometimes when he said it's like the people of this world are more shrewd than the people in the light because they utilize the Proverbs 22 6 to the max where it says train up a child in the way he should go even when he is old he will not depart from it these money lenders have trained us up and it's like it goes from generation to generation where we believe we need them so much we believe we cannot save up enough money we believe we cannot buy a car outright we believe we cannot buy a house outright we believe we cannot purchase investments outright you know we believe we need them as part of everything we do and i remember will smith said something that stood out to me one time where he mentioned the person who thinks they can and the person who thinks they can't are both right. And so if we think that we cannot save up enough money for certain things, if we think that we're always um, going to have to be in debt, then guess what? That's what the outcome is going to be. But imagine if people, if a family, if a group of people tell themselves we're not getting into debt at all. Imagine how their movements will be. Imagine the type of group economics that could come from that. Imagine the type of investments, the amount of savings that could come from that. But at the end of the day, the money lenders have trained us so well that we, we always need them. We always go into that back door that Carter G. Woodson uh, talked about. And at the end of the day, these guys are playing chess. They're not playing no backyard Heineken sipping dominoes, you know. And one of the strategies that they, they use, because I just want to highlight this, and it's like they use it to pull the wool over our eyes, is they hide the true cost of something or the true amount that a person going to pay for an item when they get the banks involved by highlighting the monthly payments but the funny thing is they understand that these monthly payments add up and they also understand that people are not 100% cognizant as to how much these monthly payments add up and it's uh, they understand that principle of compound interest where if you have a penny that doubles every day for 30 days that penny turns into 5.37 million dollars they know that power of compounding and the thing is, really, we should not be paying compound interest. We should be earning compound interest. You know, we should not be giving all our money to, to these um, bankers so that they could profit and laugh in, while we're in, in um, poverty. And one thing I'm going to ask um, people to do, if you don't mind, write down all the loans you have and then write down how much you'll end up paying if you pay the loan to the end, really work out that number and see what it comes out to. You know, one place where I see this um, borrowing thing, this debt thing really, really getting out of hand and it's almost like criminal is with college tuition. Because these institutions, the colleges know most people are not going to pay for college out of pocket. They can raise the price. $5,000, $10,000, $15,000, and they know people are still going to pay it because they're borrowing the money anyway. And they know that um, the, the people are not paying it while they're in college, and then even after college, it's going to be in um, 
monthly payments. Plus, they understand the impact of peer pressure. And so they know people will pay it. But trust me this. If people are actually paying these college um, tuition out of their pocket and they have to count the money, trust me, a lot of people will not be paying no thirty, fifty thousand dollars, hundred thousand uh, dollars in in uh, college tuition. You know, they would question, "Well, what am I really buying? You know, are you guys really giving me the value of 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 what I'm paying for?" And do this next time. I want people to do this. Next time you're on a college tour, ask the people, the admission office, one of the counselors, whatever it is, if me or my people come to this college and we pay this money, the $30,000, $50,000, $100,000, and we get good grades, and if when we graduate, we cannot find a job in the field that we're studying, can you at least guarantee that you'll give us a, a job at a car wash? Can you at least hook us up with a job at a car wash? And I want people to let me know what the response is. I want people to let me know how they react. Because trust me, the way they're going to react is going to let you know what time it is. And let you know how much you should really be paying for that piece of paper. Because one hand on the Bible, the other to the sky. I'm telling you, most people are getting hustled and they're overpaying for these diplomas that they're getting. And so we really got to understand the role that the uh, money lenders are pl playing when it comes to this debt thing. We got to understand the spiritual aspect. We got to understand the financial education, how all of it is working against us. And we really need to step off of this treadmill. We need to step off of this broad road and come to the narrow road that, that's going to lead to joy. I have not been in debt for seven, eight years now. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best feelings ever. You know? And one thing people don't realize is the more debt that you have, the less you're going to be able to deal with unfortunate events in the future. And that's a part of life. Because nothing is good forever. Nothing is bad forever. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And if you have too much of it, you're not going to be able to handle um, calamity in the future and and it, this thing reminds me of um, something in the Bible where Jesus told a parable and it was the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said I will do this I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this rich man had his whole elaborate plan, his whole scheme. He had it set out, but he didn't know he was dying that night. And many of us don't realize unfortunate things are going to happen some point in our life. And it really shouldn't even be looked at as unexpected. Expect for calamity to happen. And when those times come, if we have a lot of debt on our backs, it's going to be very, very hard for us. And I remember this guy said, good times are when people make debts to pay in bad times. So really try not to overburden your future self. 
Because trust me, your quality of life is going to decrease significantly if you have too much on your back. And I'm just hoping that this corona situation shows us, proves to us that the old way of doing things is not working. It should show us that we need to do something different. We need to build out a new economy. Because look, this thing has been going on with corona for maybe about uh, two months now. And we're already seeing bankruptcies from companies because they had too much debt on their balance sheet. Uh, Models, even though it had problems before COVID, Models has gone bankrupt, Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, J. Crew, and many more stores, companies are going to go bankrupt. And we see people on food pantry lines. You know, it's showing us that we're not on solid footing. And this COVID thing is like an uppercut that's going to take a lot of us out. And we got to really sit down and understand and really meditate on this thing and realize we need to create a new personal economy. And the reason I say personal economy um, is because, look, you can't control what other people do. You can only focus and control what happens in your own life. And one of the first things we have to do when we're thinking about building out our own personal economy, we have to really assess the strength of our economy. So that means writing down what your assets are, subtracting what your debts are, and that'll equal out your financial net worth. And it's important to put financial net worth and not just net worth because many times in our society, it's like we tie our value to our finances and it's really an apples to orange comparison. Because at the end of the day, Christ died for us, so our value cannot be placed on a paper or come up with some formula. So once we see what our financial net worth is, we have to understand the lower this number is, the less we're going to be able to deal with uncertainties in the future, the less we're going to be able to deal with problems, with misfortune. So we need to try to get this number up as much as possible. And that could be done by either increasing the um, value of our assets or what's more controllable is reducing the amount of our debt. The next thing we have to try to do is minimize the amount of money that's leaving our personal economy. Because at the end of the day, the more money we spend on non-essentials, the less we will have for essentials. You know, and the next thing in terms of building out our personal economy is we have to make sure we stop overpaying for stuff. We have to stop paying all this interest and all these fees. And the best way to do that is to focus on buying stuff cash. If you don't have it, trust me, it's not going to kill you. You got to wait until you have it. You know, because truth is, it's almost like we're hustling backwards by overpaying for everything. How can we expect to get ahead when we're paying 20, 30, 40, 50, 100% more for stuff. Another thing that's important in this new personal economy of ours is we have to find joy in saving and investing our money. We have to find joy in watching the money pile up, watching the money double and triple. You know, we can't just have it where we're spending so much. We have to focus more on keeping, retaining the money that we earn. And the final step in this new personal economy is we have to be content. We have to live content, debt-free lives. That's so important. And 
you know, I just want everyone to keep these relationships in mind that I'm about to mention. The more patience we have, the less debt we will have. The more satisfied we are with what God has given us, the less debt we will have. The more secure we are about ourselves and our value, the less debt we will have. And finally, the more debt we have, the less we will be able to handle the uncertainties of life. So really try to keep those things um, in mind when it comes to debt and building a solid foundation for our lives, for our family. You know, keep those things in mind. And before, you know, I get out of here, I want to just ask one quick question that I've been really thinking about. And, you know, maybe it's a foolish question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who is the real ATM? Are the machines we use at the bank the real ATMs? Or are the banks and corporations using us as the real ATMs? You know, send me a kite at ov at mygodyourmoney.com or hit me up on Instagram at mygodyourmoney with your answer. I'm really interested in hearing what you guys have to say about that. So until next time, we out of here.